0: Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers, with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show
1: notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Okay, welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Amy and I are doing a little bit of an emergency episode here to help folks understand how to fill out the MOLST form. Well, that's what we call it in Maryland. Amy, why don't you explain what this is and why it's important?
0: Sure. Um, the MOLST or POLST or life-sustaining treatment forms that are available throughout the country are critically important at uh, times when emergency medicine staff are going to be showing up at a facility or in, their ho- in your home, or it directs basically emergency personnel as to how you would want to be resuscitated at the end of life. And it can include a lot of questions, including whether you want CPR, whether you want to be intubated and other different types of invasive or non-invasive treatments that you want would want for life-sustaining treatment. And it's critically important because we're having this emergency podcast because I think that some people might need to have this available in their home. Throughout the United States, there's many states that have developed their own. And the unique thing about MOLST and PULST forms is that they are portable They stick with you, so if you fill it out with your physician, your primary physician, you could get a copy to bring to your home and then you would bring that to the hospital and then the hospital can utilize that same form. Conversely, if it gets made while you're in the hospital, you can then also take that to your primary care doctor. So it's a very portable form that allows for patients and their family members to tell emergency personnel what they would want to have happen in case of emergency.
1: Well, yeah. So let me make it maybe a bit simpler for folks, for some folks who might not understand any of this. So we are undergoing a tremendous population health you know, pandemic disaster in the coming weeks. And many people are going to go into some form of respiratory distress where they will need to, if they, they are either going to die or they will need to go to the emergency room and be intubated and placed on life support in order to survive. Some people already know that they would not want life support services. They would not want to be on a ventilator for weeks, you know, sedated with tubes in every orifice. And if you go to the hospital without clear instructions as to what you would want in this sort of situation, the default is for them to do everything. And that, 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 that's a problem for two reasons. One is that might, be not, that might not be what you want, number one. And number two, if those resources are used on you, and especially if you didn't want them, that means those resources are not available for somebody else. So we think it's incredibly important for people to be very clear about what they would and would not want should they be in a situation where they need life support Uh, interventions or therapy. And this form in Maryland, we call it the most form, is the standard form for that purpose. And in other states, there are similar forms. And so we wanted to kind of walk people through the questions on this form, what they mean in layman's terms, so that you can fill this form out yourself, and then you just need your doctor to sign it to make it official.
0: Yeah. And I also wanted to add that you know, one of the things that people have done, a lot of folks have done, is that with their family members and maybe an estate planner or a family attorney or some other type of thing, they have made, you know, they've made their wishes known. But if an EMS staff person shows up and you have, let's say, some legal documents that you might have said, oh, I wish for this person to be, you know, the representative for me, my power of attorney, my medical power of attorney, and these are the types of things I would want done for me. That is not going to help the ambulance staff. The only way that folks can communicate their wishes to medical personnel is through a form like this. It cannot be through the thing that you filled out with your lawyer, you know, 10, 5, one year, 2 days beforehand. It needs to be on this form for uh, emergency personnel to recognize it. And that's one of the other things that I've come across in my years of working in the senior serving industry is that people sort of have a fundamental disconnect between what in fact is understood by the patients and then all of the relevant sort of caregiving personnel that someone may come across if there was an emergency to occur. So I actually want to take a step back and say, if we, if we are successful enough to teach you how to fill out one of these forms, it needs to be in a place that is, you need to keep it in a place where basically somebody could find it who really needs to, to have it. Alex, you've heard me say, put it on the fridge, put it on the freezer, those types of things. Yeah. So that's where it needs to go.
1: And you can make copies of it. You can give a copy to your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So in Maryland, we call this the Maryland Medical Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, which is the acronym is M as in Mary, O-L-S-T. And that's why we call it the MOLST form. So in other states, what should people search for, Amy?
0: So they can search for something called POLST which is portable orders for life-sustaining treatment. Many states have that. And actually, there's a national organization that helps states set these types of things up. But you'll hear "most" and "pulst" a lot. Those, I think, are probably the two most common I've heard. And right. people also call them DNR orders. And yep. the, the difference between a DNR order and a MOLST or pulst is a MOLST or pulst does, in fact, contain what are called, not orders, but DNR wishes. What are the wishes for somebody for a do not resuscitate a DNR order if you will but ultimately the most pulse form actually has lots of other questions that would come behind that because really a do not resuscitate order is if you are no longer breathing and your heart is stopped there are other types of care that can be offered to somebody that may in fact be at risk of having something happen to them like that you know but the most pulse form is actually just much more complete it gives you lots more opportunities to say, even if my heart and lungs haven't stopped, here are some of the things that I, as a patient, would want to have happened. I wouldn't want antibiotics or I would want to have a blood transfusion. And we'll get to those as we go through it. Got so it. that's the main difference is DNR is contained within a molster pulse, but a molster pulse is much more comprehensive.
1: Excellent. In the state of Maryland, you can go to Maryland mols or, or just do a Google search. But let's, let's get on to the form then. Sure, um, yep. So take us so, through it, Amy. What, okay, so it
0: is, um, the Maryland MOLST form is a two-page document. The patient's name must be at the top of both pieces of paper. And if it is signed at the bottom, which it will be by a physician, nurse, practitioner, or a PA, which means a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, in addition to a regular physician, can sign this form. The dates on page one and page two must match in order for it to be totally valid. So to review, name, date of birth, male or female, must be the exact same on the top of both pages, page one and two, and the practitioner's signature must in fact be the same on both pages as well as the same date. Got it. So when you go and look at it, you have to see that both of those things are true. Um, Simultaneously, saying that there are two pages doesn't mean that you actually have to have filled out both pages, page one is actually For some people, the most important, because it contains what we just spoke about, which is the DNR information, the do not resuscitate information. Page two is much more of the, what comes maybe before the DNR, but it's important to understand, we're gonna go through page one and page two, but page one is often what you will see if you're like an emergency room physician, sometimes you only get page one and that's okay.
1: Got it, okay. So let's go to the section of the the first section that needs to be filled out where it says certification for the basis of these orders. Right. So
0: it's really important
1: to understand
0: is that this form never has to be signed by the patient. But the information that is contained therein is coming from the patient and or their representative. So there's two parts to the certification for the basis of these orders. The first is, is that who is the discussion that the provider is having? Who is the person that the provider is having a discussion with? The the informed consent must come from either the patient, the patient's healthcare agent, which is usually in those legal forms, like that is somebody that can talk about, can speak to the issues of do not resuscitate and end of life wishes. It could be a guardian, somebody who was appointed by the court system if they did not have a power of attorney or a healthcare agent. And there's other types of persons that can do it through something called the Healthcare Decisions Act, And often in states where, let's just say you never appointed a power of attorney while you were able to make that decision, Alex, there are actually what are called um, de facto powers of attorney. And if you look at your state, state by state, they'll say, well, you know, if they never filled out the power of attorney paperwork before they got ill or became demented and they never got a guardian, here's the pecking order of who can then answer questions about this person. You know, maybe like, First, it's like spouse, and then it's like oldest child, second oldest child, and every state has its own what are called de facto powers of attorney. So that's who can sort of interface with the medical provider in order to get this form filled out. And then you have to say, or I hereby certify that these orders are based on, and then you can get sort of instructions from documents. But again, this is not what the EMS staff is going to be doing for you. This needs to be done before they get there.
1: Yeah. You know or saying? you take this with you to the hospital if you're not using 911 to go to the hospital.
0: Indeed. Right. Okay. So the next section, which is on the Maryland Most form labeled number one, is basically about do not resuscitate. So Alex, do you want to sort of read to us sure. CPR status?
1: Yeah. So in the first section, you need to, I guess, check off whether CPR should be done or not. And so CPR is cardio, it stands for cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And, you know, what does that mean? So for lay people, you know, this means generally that, you know, CPR is performed when you, your heart has essentially stopped, when you don't have a pulse and you're not breathing. And so that means that if CPR is being performed, generally somebody is standing above you and pressing very hard on your chest, roughly 100 beats a minute, and then depending on other resources around you, somebody may be trying to get air and oxygen inside of your lungs, so they're trying to give you oxygen or ventilation. But this is compression of the chest with force and high frequency and speed is the main thing here. And, you know, lay people need to understand that Properly performed CPR in, in frail old people is likely to break your ribs. I mean, it, yeah, it's just it's
0: 100% going to yes. break ribs.
1: Yeah, so done, that's, done correctly. That's what we're talking about. And so once people, you know, we don't talk about this very openly in healthcare, but, you know, if you're at the point that you need CPR as a frail old person, the likelihood that you might be able to come back from that with any sort of quality of life is is quite low. It's it's obviously highly dependent on the situation and age and all that. But going into CPR is not a good sign. Needing CPR is not a good <laughs> sign. It's a not good a good predictor for any sort of quality of life afterwards. So, you know, a, a lot of folks see lots of dramatic uh, stuff on TV where things miraculously get better, and reality is often not that way.
0: So yeah, so the the first section is you're sort of deciding between whether you want to attempt CPR or you don't want to attempt CPR. And as Alex just described, it's a fairly violent procedure. And in somebody who is older, their survivability is probably going to be low just from the CPR itself. And then if they do survive the CPR, the likelihood that they will regain any sort of uh, functional status is quite low. But you know, it's not our job to help people sort of decide what they want and don't want, but it's important that people understand sort of the reality of what that, what CPR actually is. So if you choose under the Maryland MOLST form to quote unquote attempt CPR, you do not have to fill out the rest of the form of page one, because you've sort of told the, you've told the, uh, the EMS staff that basically it's, Okay to 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 do this to me. And this is by the way the default. So if they arrive in someone's home and they don't have a moles form, they are going to attempt CPR. This is sort of like the default
1: zone. Got it. Yeah. So the next section, well, it's still as part one is if if you if you decide to not choose to attempt CPR, then you have some options with underneath of no CPR. So can you explain those options then, Amy?
0: Sure. So there's option A1 and A2, which basically are what we would call comprehensive efforts. And so A1 and A2, we're going to go through those in just a moment. But then there's option B, which is you're not doing CPR and you're sort of in that palliative and supportive care. That is the least invasive of the no CPR option. So option B which is called palliative and support care, would be, and I'll read directly from the Maryland Moles form, it says prior to arrest, they will provide passive oxygen for comfort and control any external bleeding. Prior to arrest, provide medications for pain relief as needed, but no other medications. Do not intubate, which is stick the tube down the throat, or use CPAP or BiPAP, which are external ways of forcing air into somebody's lungs, And if cardiac and or pulmonary arrest occurs, do not attempt resuscitation. So this is a no CPR. More importantly is the last sentence, which is it says, allow death to occur naturally. So that is option B. I did option B first because I'm gonna go back up and talk about options A1 and A2, which are a type of no CPR option, but it it allows for different sort of levels of no CPR. So option A1 is you're not doing CPR, which is you're not smashing on their chest, but you are intubating. You are sticking the tube down somebody's throat. Okay. That's A1. A2 is a do not intubate, but you can use external types of ventilatory support, which are called CPAP or BiPAP, which is again, just forced air sort of either through a nasal formula or uh, through nasal cannula or something that fits really tightly over the nostrils or something that fits tightly over the mouth. So it's sort of not intubation, it's not sticking the tube down, but it is forcing air in. So, Alex, I love it when you review. Can you just review what I just said?
1: Yeah, so I want to add on to the intubation thing a a bit more, and then then we'll, we'll step back to do the review. So intubation with this, it means there is a tube going typically through your mouth and then into your airway, and... As you can imagine, it is extremely uncomfortable and can generally only be performed with you being unconscious. So to be intubated means that for the most part, you are going to either you're already unconscious or we need to make you unconscious in order to tolerate this. And then we hook you up because you are unconscious. You're not breathing. Then we hook you up through the through the tube to a ventilator, which is a also called mechanical ventilation. It is a machine that is breathing on your behalf. So in, 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 the, in the COVID-19 kind of clinical scenario, what this means is if you get so short of breath that you're having a lot of difficulty breathing, you're gonna, you are going to have to make a decision that, I, that will I let them intubate me or not? If they don't intubate you and you are extremely short of breath, you are likely to die. If you do get intubated, you will get placed, you know, you will be given medication to make you unconscious. And then you will be placed on a ventilator. And we call this as a form of life support, where the machine is breathing for you and trying to get enough oxygen into your body so that your vital organs like your brain and heart and kidneys don't die. In the situation where you're having severe shortness of breath from something like COVID-19. Most of, the, most of the respiratory distress is coming from what we call ARDS, which is a, a complicated clinical scenario where it's extremely difficult to get enough oxygen into the body, even with intubation. So even if you get intubated and placed on a ventilator, uh, th- that is not a guarantee that you're going to survive this. And, and many folks are dying despite the intubation. And even those who don't die are staying mechanically ventilated for a prolonged period of time. Some of them even get extubated, meaning the tube is pulled out and then the virus attacks their heart, causing a cardiomyopathy, and then they die from that. So this is a very scary scenario here, but I, I wanted to make sure people understand what this, what this tube means. So going to the summary, I, I'm going to try to summarize it, Amy, and, and tell me if I'm doing this right or not. So Got it in stage 1 uh, the first part of the algorithm is do you want everything or not if you want everything to be tried then you're going to mark off the attempt cpr right yep. yep okay if you don't want necessarily everything but maybe some of it then you go into that section below that where you got to decide well what which piece of it do i want or no want and you, and you have three options there intubate which means i i I if you choose that that means I don't want people pressing on my chest but I'm okay if you put a tube down my throat and breathe on my behalf with and this honestly, machine And honestly
0: but and Alex I'm not really even sure I know the data as to the survivability of such a option but it is well, it, it is what it is yeah, do you know that it,
1: it, it very low for the elderly. And if yeah. your heart has stopped, it doesn't matter if you're intubated, you're dead. Right, there you go, yeah. yeah. Okay,
0: so I think uh, it's important that people kind of understand <laughs> that, right? Like, right. Right. They, it's giving a lot of options that kind of like don't necessarily make sense physiologically. Like, yep. you know, so
1: yeah. But. And then the second option is option A2, which is do not intubate, but, but it's okay to use CPAP or BiPAP. What that means is they will try to give you as much oxygen as possible by putting masks with high flow oxygen, essentially over your face and blowing high pressure oxygen or air into your lungs, but not putting a tube down your throat. And this usually means that you're not unconscious. You're awake. You generally need to be awake in order to do CPAP or BiPAP.
0: It needs a small amount of cooperation from the patient.
1: That's right. And then the third option there is no CPR, no high pressure air from CPAP or BiPAP, but, supportive and palliative care to try to make you as comfortable as possible with with pain medication and oxygen, passive oxygen. That would mean generally it would mean like a nasal cannula or a, a face mask with oxygen.
0: Right. So basically option B is what we think of as DNR. Like really yeah. when we think of DNR, I would say as an emergency physician, yeah. we think of this this option. Although the other ones have DNR thought of it, but this is
1: DNR. Right. Now, w- one of the key things that that we'd didn't mention, but we should have mentioned earlier on is it's important to think about this stuff now and decide because, in the heat of the moment, when you if you start to decline clinically, medically, one you yourself might not be able to make the decision because in your you are in so much distress or your oxygen level is falling, so you can't think straight or communicate well, and then not only does it, are you then prone to potentially having a decision that doesn't match what you want, but then you're putting a really difficult burden on your family to decide what you would have wanted. And sometimes that decision carries a lot of guilt for family members. So it, this is actually a lot of this has to do with also removing some of the decision making burden from the family whom you love.
0: Well, th- I think I want to add to that also, which is, you know, when this form is made out assuming it is made in a calm period where there is no you know critical things happening at that moment it's not like you're wheeling into the emergency department and someone's going do you want to intubate do you You know asking you all these crazy questions if this form is filled out beforehand it actually is a malleable document meaning that people can actually if you are somebody who is a decision maker you can actually change this let's just say that maybe somebody was doing well and they wanted to be full code right but then something happens and now they've got a healthcare power of attorney that's sort of making decisions that person has the right to make changes as long as it is mm-hmm. concordant with what the patient's wishes were at the time because they may have said well I'm well now I mean I wish to be full code now but yeah. then it's up to the healthcare power of attorney to sort of look back at the healthcare agent you know documentation and the the person's wishes in that legal document to say now what do we do now that things have changed right you know what how can i reflect what my loved one would have wanted now in this current situation so even if this is done it can be changed but it should be but it should be changed to what the person would have wanted based on their clinical status
1: yep fantastic thank you amy okay anything else on page one
0: No, because page
1: one should have only one checkmark on it.
0: You cannot Uh, have multiple checkmarks. Like sometimes as an ER doc, Alex, I don't know what would happen with you. I would like be like, okay, we've got a one and a two checked. Yeah, no, can't do that. Right. Somebody signed it like a physician NP or PA Mm -hmm. signed that form. So it is very important that on page one, under section one, there can be one checkbox, only one checkmark.
1: Excellent point. Uh, yeah, from a usability perspective, there's some feedback we could probably give the form makers to make this easier to understand. <laughs> yeah, I know who
0: they are, so I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, let's go to page two.
0: Page two. Okay, so page two has numbers two through nine. Again, as a reminder, the patient's last name, first and middle initial, date of birth and male or female must be the same on page one and page two. And on the bottom, it must be signed by the same practitioner that signed page one with the same date. Okay, so if you do end up with page two, that's what you're gonna need to do, all right? So here we go, number two se- number two is this, called artificial ventilation. And I've always been kind of curious about this one because I felt like we addressed it you know, in the section beforehand, but seen, it seems a little redundant, but it sort of forces people to continue to think about how they would want um, to be treated if they were not able to breathe for themselves. So there's two A, two B, two C, and two D. Basically when it gets to the very end the D or the very last letter of any of these sections is sort of like do not do anything. It's sort of the like the default for DNR for each individual section. So 2A is may use intubation and artificial ventilation indefinitely, which means kind of do everything.
1: 2B, Wait, I'm I'm a little confused Amy. Explain to us when how does part 2 relate to part 1?
0: such a great question. I am going to be totally honest with you and tell you, I see it as somewhat duplicative, but I see it as if, it, if you have not lost a pulse, then I think that we get to this section. Meaning uh, that if you, if, if you sort of have like, all right, we don't really need to deal with the CPR issues. This is just sort of like my general wishes
1: I see. about Got how
0: it. I would want to deal with artificial ventilation, not a heat of the moment kind of thing. I think this is sort of like a really nice way of expressing what you would generally want done. Like Got some it. people would say, right?
1: So so, I, so step one, if I can refra- reframe it, is yeah. more in a cardiac or pulmonary arrest situation. You have stopped breathing or your heart has stopped. What do you want us to do? Great. And all the other steps are, you're For, not at that final point, but it's right. a- anything before that, well, would you, because there are many situations where you have not stopped breathing, but right. it could be beneficial to put you on a ventilator.
0: Exactly, example. like people who might have like advanced emphysema might say, right. I, you may find me in distress at some point, but here's the deal. I don't ever want you to do X, Y, or Z, or I always want you to do this. So people can express what they want in situations other than cardiopulmonary arrest. It may be right. they are pre-arrest, but they have not yet arrested. And so Got this it. is sort of, this, this is the section for that, which is why it's different than just a DNR order it it really sort of is more comprehensive about end of life wishes and sort of how I wish to be treated, even if I'm not exactly at end of life. It's sort of just like my my general plan of how I would want to, to kind of receive medical care.
1: Right, and to connect it to the COVID nineteen issue again, this is really important here because this is the most
0: critical section. Correct. Yeah,
1: what we're learning from Italy and China is that for many patients, the 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 decline into respiratory failure is very, very rapid. And they are learning that to identify which patients um, are high risk for potentially needing intubation later and intubating them much earlier to prevent a crash scenario. So this is where that might apply.
0: Right. So just to go back to number two, because I want to make sure we get through all the sections. Part two is the artificial ventilation. And it basically tells a provider even if I'm not in cardiopulmonary arrest, here's what I want to be done for my respiratory status. 2A is the most. It means intubate me and keep me on that ventilator indefinitely. Number two would be intubate me, but let's see if it works. And so you can give time limits on how long you want to stay intubated. Listen, if I'm not getting better in three days, then that's it. 2C would be only use CPAP or BiPAP, which are the external forms of ventilation and oxygenation
1: which you can stay awake for
0: you can be right exactly which you should be awake for you should be yep yep and then 2d would be do not use artificial ventilation which is basically saying don't intubate me and don't use CPAP and don't use bipap okay section three blood transfusion there's only two choices here it's you may give me blood products or do not give me blood products and this is a very, I think this is pretty straightforward.
1: Yep, that one's easy. Let's keep going.
0: Four is hospital transfer. Now, this is when patients are, you know, having coming from a situation where people are in their homes or in assisted livings, this is really critical for assisted living care. It basically says, this is what I want to have happen if I need to be transferred to the hospital. And somebody says, send her to the ER. So, 4A is transfer for any situation requiring hospital level care. hospice patients will never be a 4A. Then 4B and 4C are like a little bit of a tear down transfer. So 4B is transfer to hospital for severe pain or severe symptoms that cannot be controlled otherwise. Again, you know, this one really makes a lot of sense. It's basically saying, I don't really want to go to the hospital, but if I really have to, I'll go. Um, And then 4C (laughs) is like, do not transfer to the hospital, but treat with options available outside of the hospital. That is a fairly typical sort of what you would find for a hospice patient is 4C. Got it. 5A, oh, sorry, 5 is medical workup. Again, it's sort of a three-tier, a three-tier choices. Basically, 5A is sort of do any medical tests that you think that you need to diagnose me or treat me with any medical condition. Then 5B is only do a few things, maybe limited stuff for symptomatic treatment, and then 5C is do not perform medical tests for diagnosis or treatment. Again, 5C is more of a hospice yeah. choice.
1: So we're um, seeing a pattern here where your choices are generally do everything, do nothing, or in the middle is do whatever it takes to keep me comfortable.
0: Exactly. Six is antibiotics. There's, this is a four tier uh, question. And so 6A means may use any antibiotics, either oral intravenous or intramuscular as medically necessary. 6B is only use oral antibiotics but don't give IV or intramuscular. 6C is may use oral antibiotics only when indicated for symptom relief or comfort. You will often see 6C for hospice patients and 6D is do not treat with antibiotics and some hospice patients opt for 6D as well. So it's IV, IM or oral as 6A, which is sort of all the types of antibiotics and you can give them however they become available all the way down to 60, which is do not treat with antibiotics. Got it. Okay, seven. Seven is also four. It starts with, uh, so it's uh, artificial, artificially administered fluids and nutrition. 7A means may give artificially administered fluids and nutrition even indefinitely if medically indicated. And I'm gonna not lie. I have often said to myself, what does that mean? Nutrition, is that sort of like?
1: TPN, I think.
0: I guess it means TPN. It's never been really clear to me what that meant, so I've always sort of thought of it as TPN.
1: But maybe it's also G-tube feeds.
0: Or, well, I was thinking D50. I mean, it's sort of like one of those things, like uh, it's not entirely clear from the form, but I think people should understand that if it's artificially administered fluids and nutrition, it's either coming through the IV, down your nose, in an NG tube or through a G tube. So you're basically saying, I need for somebody to give me food other than through my mouth through a regular typical way. I need food or water basically through a different modality. Yeah. And so you're basically saying to whoever is reading this form, I am okay with you basically trying to get me fluids and food through all sorts of different ways. Right. 7B may give it as a trial. So there's a two different places on this form in the seven section, I'm sorry, there's three different places. There's in number seven and in number two. So when we're talking about artificial ventilation, you have an opportunity to put a time limit on two of the choices. And also for artificially administered fluids and nutrition, when we get to eight, there's also a choice too. But you can say, hey, listen, I, I'm i not really sure that I want to say absolutely not, but give it a try. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, then here here's what I'm willing to accept is two right. days, four days, six, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, next, okay. dialysis.
0: Yep. Well, I didn't finish with seven yet ah. because there's a time limit on 7B, which is may give the artificially administered fluids and nutrition as a trial. And then 7C is may give artificially artificial hydration but not nutrition with a time limit. And 7D is do not provide artificially administered fluids or nutrition at all. So 7D, again, is sort of the do nothing approach. Eight is dialysis. This is a three-tier question and so 8a is try dialysis it's chronic dialysis for end-stage kidney disease if medically indicated 8b is try dialysis for a short period of time and here's my time limit and then 8c is no dialysis either acute or chronic so for people who for whom you are just saying you know what i see that your kidneys are failing but we're not going to be we're not going to you know yeah. i don't want that so yeah
1: so that's right. it to, and then there's through, an other orders section. Have right. you ever seen anything in there?
0: I'm going to not lie. I have not. Okay. But there are people who probably put stuff there. I just have not seen that.
1: What are the most common mistakes you've seen on this form?
0: People putting more than one check mark in any one section.
1: Got it. And then what about the signature issue too? You mentioned the date. The signature Dates have the, to be the
0: same on page one and page two.
1: Okay. Critically important. Yep. Awesome. So, and p- people can have multiple copies of these, so they can have a copy right in, at home. They can give a copy to their doctor, a copy to their family members,
0: and keep a uh, copy on the fridge so that if EMS comes, they know exactly what to do.
1: Yep. Fantastic. Uh, anything else we need to know about the most form?
0: You can download it yourself online. Yeah. And so fi- and fill it out as much as you can, and then give it to your provider, and then go through it with them. And if they if you didn't do it right, they'll fill it out again with you, and then sign it but you can certainly read it as much as you want to beforehand, it's usually really helpful. Oh, I know one, your provider gets paid to fill this out. If you're on, if you have Medicare, there are billing codes for this, 99497 and 99498. And the patient does not need to be there while this form is getting filled out for your provider to bill it. How about that? Okay,
1: That's a great incentive for for the provider to actually do this. Awesome, thank you, Amy, for teaching us so much in this critical time.
0: Thank you so much, Alex. Can't wait for the next one. Bye. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources.